0: Hey coach, welcome to episode 36 of Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. This episode is Do's and Don'ts of Virtual Coaching, and this is the third episode in a little series all about virtual coaching. Episode 34, if you haven't listened to it yet, I totally recommend that you do. It's First Steps in Instruction in Virtual Coaching, and it helps you figure out exactly how to start moving your coaching practice online if you haven't already. After that, I interviewed Dr. Stephanie Afanito in episode 35, and we talked all about her favorite tips for virtual coaching cycles. That was a really good interview, and so I know there are a lot of tools and tips that she talked about that would be really helpful to you in your coaching work. So before we get started today, I want to share one thing with you that I know would make a huge impact on your coaching work this year. Virtual and blended coaching is a whole new challenge for so many instructional coaches right now. Coaches are having to figure out how to build relationships, provide professional development, and implement coaching cycles and strategies online. And for the most part, they don't have the help they need, like usual, right? When do coaches ever get the support they really need. <laughs> the best place to go to learn about virtual coaching is the Coffee and Coaching membership. I co-host this membership with my coaching friend Nicole Turner of Simply Coaching and Teaching. As a member of this coaching membership site, you have access to a bank of PD to go videos where you can learn about virtual coaching, coaching foundations, coaching strategies and more. There's an exclusive Facebook group, monthly live sessions on the topics you'd like to learn more about and then we record those sessions and put them into the membership site for you to watch at any time, live Q and A sessions with me and Nicole and so many downloadable tools to help you get coaching without having to start from scratch. My most recent favorite tool that got put into the membership is the virtual coaching startup kit and it's got all the tools that you need to get started. You can join the membership at coffeeandcoachingmembership.com today. You won't regret it, I promise, you're going to get the support and the answers you need to coach virtually and in person and this could be your best year ever. So I really hope you check it out because I know it would make a huge impact on your coaching. So now let's talk about do's and don'ts of virtual coaching. I have been talking to a lot of colleagues who are coaching and teaching right now. And some of these people are coaching in person, but they are coaching teachers who are teaching virtually. Some of these coaches are coaching online, coaching teachers who are coaching or teaching online as well, and some are coaching teachers in person and online who are teaching in person and online. <laughs> There's all the possible combinations of different teaching and learning strategies going on right now. I'm going to share these tips with you, and the majority of them are going to be relevant whether you are coaching teachers who are learning online or not, um, because this is a crazy year, and we have to kind of really consider what are the best practices for our new approach to coaching and teaching, and I think that this list is going to help you do this. So my first tip for you is don't overwhelm teachers with a list of 100 different technology tools. Teachers, if you do this, will all do their own thing. You won't be able to help because you won't know really well all of the different tools that you've shared with them. And I've seen coaches do this. They send out a list to teachers of like a hundred different things. And they're like, these are all these cool tools that I found that you can use to teach. And it's tons of different stuff. You can use this for engagement. You can use this for teaching about the water cycle. This is a really cool set of videos for SEL. This is a really cool interactive activity that I found for this topic. Because it's just this massive list, you can't really be well-versed in all of it. It's impossible. And on top of it, it's overwhelming to teachers because they don't even know where to start. They look at this massive list and go, I'm just supposed to randomly pull things off of this list. Maybe a curated list might be helpful, but a hundred different things, or even 50 or 20 different things is probably too much. On top of that, it's overwhelming to students. So what happens is we have, let's say we have a a group of students in our school, and they are from one family. We have a, a first grader, a second grader, and a fourth grader and they are John, Ben, and Matt. Those are my brother's names. So Matt is in first grade, and his teacher is using uh, Google Classroom with him. No, probably not. In first grade, she's probably using Seesaw. First grade is using Seesaw, and then there are a bunch of activities from the Khan Academy and a few other sites. The, the second grade teacher is using Seesaw as well, but the teacher is operating with completely different supplemental materials. They're using textbook stuff and whatever came with a textbook adoption. The fourth grade classroom is using Google Classroom. And so all of these different kids are having completely different experiences. And that's difficult for parents to provide support whenever they've got one kid using Canvas, one kid using, you know, maybe they meet on Zoom, and then another kid meets on Google Teams, or Google Meets and another kid meets on teams, and everybody's doing their own thing, and every system is different. That's really overwhelming to kids because they can't get the help they need, and it's incredibly overwhelming to parents who are already, let's face it, they're, they're really overwhelmed. <laughs> so don't overwhelm teachers with a list of 100 different technology tools. Do choose a few technology tools and align your campus. You can get teacher input and really align your school by selecting a few and seeing which ones teachers find the best choice to be the best choice for their kids. And then voting is a great way to accomplish this. So for example, you can use Google tools or you could use Microsoft tools. You could um, use Zoom or you can use Google Meet, but don't use both. It's too overwhelming for everybody involved. Once you have that specific list, you can provide training on those specific tools and how to use them. You can come back to them every single time you do a PLC or a workshop and really integrate that into the learning so teachers become well versed. If you have too many things that you're trying to get teachers to be good at, it's impossible. You have to focus. My second don't, do and don't is don't feel like relationships will just naturally happen. It can feel like, well, I'm interacting with teachers and I'm supporting them and it should be fine, but relationships online really take some purpose to cultivate and a lot of teachers right now are struggling with a lot of emotions and you you may also be, which is totally normal. And so what we need to do is make sure that we are really purposeful in the way that we interact with teachers in order to build a positive relationship with them so that they can see that we are actually there to help. So, The do is make a plan for building relationships online. So to make a plan, think about the opportunities that you have for building relationships. And you could use things like virtual conferencing, writing letters and postcards, sending positive images and email, playing games together, telling stories. All of those are different strategies that you can use to build a positive relationship with teachers. Another really great strategy is the 10 2 strategy. For 10 days, choose one teacher that maybe you haven't had a good relationship with in the past, or maybe you really kind of can't figure them out and spend two minutes every day for 10 days doing something to build a relationship with this teacher. It could be sending a positive email. It could be sending a little image um, using whatever... Uh, messaging service you're using. You could write them a little note and send it in the mail. You can, um, in a video conference, you can you know, say something positive to them or ask them a question about their home and, and your, their pets and their children, just to kind of build those relationships. But be really purposeful in selecting that teacher and then um, focus on doing that to build the relationship over time. My third tip is don't think you have to know, to dump everything about coaching that you already know and then start over. So I talked about this in episode 34, whenever I introduced the first steps for virtual coaching. Um, So I'm not gonna go into it in too much depth here, but I want you to know, you already know a lot that is going to support you on your virtual coaching journey. So do transfer what you know about coaching to your new role. And I talk about how in this episode, I gave you the example of how you could take a piece of paper and divide it into two columns. And on the left, you write a list of things you would usually do as a coach, like facilitating PLC, reviewing assessment data, planning collaboratively, et cetera. And on the the right, you can visualize what that will look like in a virtual setting. And basically you're building a bridge from the left side to the right side using technology. You're shifting your medium, but you're still providing those supports. So don't dump everything that you already know. Use what you know to build your coaching role. My fourth tip is don't assume teachers know what you're doing as a coach now. They might not have even known what you were doing as a coach before, to be honest, because sometimes teachers don't know what things look like unless they personally see it in action. And people who are not working in the classroom are sort of a mystery to people who are working in the classroom. So whenever we make assumptions that teachers are going to know what we are doing as a coach, we are always wrong. <laughs> we, always get the, we always get it wrong because teachers are making assumptions too about what they think that we, our job is. As a virtual coach, they probably cannot envision where all your time is going. They probably can't do that. Unless you're spending a lot of time working with a very specific group of teachers, that group of teachers may know what you're doing, but the other ones don't. So we cannot assume that they know what we're doing. Instead, we do need to explicitly introduce our role. And I talk about how to do that in episode 34, about how to build your coaching menu and host a Meet the Coach event that is going to explain to teachers exactly what you're there to do and get their input on what kinds of support they would like. So my next number five, don't offer a million supports at the beginning and realize you aren't actually prepared to do all of those things. So I mentioned the coaching menu and on the coaching menu you're actually going to place the different kinds of supports that you have to offer to teachers. And that's for virtual coaching or blended coaching. If you start out with that coaching menu being chock-full of a million different things, first of all it's overwhelming, and second of all you have to really think about whether you're prepared to provide those supports to teachers or not. If you're not actually prepared to provide the supports to teachers, do not stick it on the menu. Uh, if If you're not comfortable with things, give yourself time to get comfortable with what you already can do and then you can add new things to that plate. So choose a few basic levels of support, and then you can add a few more challenging supports to focus on at the beginning, and then over time, you can start creating a more complex coaching menu. But whenever you just get started, identify the supports, lower level supports, and more challenging supports that you are most comfortable with, and start with them, and you can always add more later. I actually have a sample coaching menu, a virtual coaching menu for you, that if you go to the show notes today, That you can get a hold of a copy of that and it will be free. And that is Buzzing with Miss B slash episode 36. That's where you will find that virtual coaching menu in the show notes. And um, you will be able to download that for free and get yourself started if you're unsure of what that coaching menu could look like. Buzzingwithmissb.com slash episode 36. Okay, tip number six. Don't have your stuff all over the place. And that means whenever you send out information to teachers, we tend to send it out in emails. If a teacher needs to access something and you've sent it out in an email, they are digging through all of their stuff to figure out where they put it. They can't remember which folder they stuck it in or did they delete it and now they have to email you and ask you to send them another copy. So now you're digging through all of your emails <laughs> to figure out where it is that you stuffed this email and did you? is it in the outbox? Maybe I had to clean out my outbox because my email was full and it just becomes a whole fiasco. Instead, do create one hub where teachers can find everything that they need. If you create one spot with everything in it, teachers can be independent locators of information, and this will save you time and stress, and it'll save them time and stress too, because they won't be hunting through a million emails to find that link that you sent them. They can be independent and get things without sending you a message asking you to help. And one easy way to do this is Google Sites. Google Sites are tremendously easy to use. Um, They are not... They're not complicated to the, like visually, you can look at them and they are simple and it is easy to locate what you want. You can connect them to your Google form for people asking help for help. You can add um, downloads for people if they wanna get the coaching menu, they can just download it right there. That's probably the easiest way that you can do it. You could also do a s'more, but that's more of a newsletter uh, format. Um, And then there are other places like many schools have websites as well that you can use um, To create or a canvas classroom those kinds of things where you can create a hub But no matter what source you use create a hub where teachers can find everything that they need uh, without asking you all the time That kind of leads me to the next point don't make yourself available 100% of the day so Sometimes what happens, especially whenever we're working online, is we feel like, well, I just got an email. I heard the little bling while I was sitting here working on something else, so I'm just going to respond really quickly. Or, oh, I got a text message. I'm going to pause what I'm doing and respond on this text message. So instead of staying focused and really getting done what it is that we set out to do, We've interrupted ourselves three, four, five times in a 30-minute span to respond to teachers immediately. When we do this, for one, we're telling teachers that we are always available, which isn't really realistic. And we're also interrupting our train of thought so much that we're actually diminishing our productivity. So if you're working on your Google site and you pause three times to respond to somebody else, you've actually shut down that stream of consciousness, that workflow that you had going on Google sites, and you have to refocus your mental energy back onto Google sites every time you come back from that distracting task. So here's my advice to you. Do set office hours and create a recurring link for teachers to reach you via a conference or when you'll be available via phone or email, when you'll be responding. This might sound a little contrary to the coaching relationship that we usually try to build, but this is what I want you to think about. At school, you wouldn't be available for pop-ins all day long. You wouldn't be sitting at your desk all day long waiting for people to come visit you. You'd be all over the school, probably. Modeling in classrooms, picking something up at the office, visiting a teacher to see how things are going, having debriefing conversations. So just like if you were in school and you are physically moving around and therefore unable to locate at any given moment, you don't have to be immediately locatable whenever you're online. You don't have to respond immediately when you're online. So you don't have to make yourself 100% available during co- virtual coaching. Instead, you set these office hours so people know where to find you and when you will be available. You could say that it'll be one to three every day or three to four thirty four four days a week. You just wanna be consistent and you wanna have it posted. So I recommend putting that in the hub that I mentioned in my number six tip, um, that hub where you have your one virtual coaching office you can actually put your office hours on your virtual coaching office so people can access you at that time and they know when you will be able to respond. I would also recommend sharing a reusable Zoom link, a recurring Zoom meeting, so that everybody can reach you there at a specific time of day. So then you pop open your Zoom meeting and you're just there. And as people are trying to get a hold of you during that time, they could jump in on that meeting just as if you were sitting in your office and they would come by your office at school. So any sort of communication is reserved to respond to in this time. You can reserve you can respond to emails, you can respond to phone messages or text messages during that office hour timeframe and people know to expect when you will be responding. Another really great tool that you can respond to um, during this time is Voxer. Voxer is a messaging app that you can get on your phone. It's free. And you can message teachers with voice messages and they can send them back to you with a voice memo. And it's just a little bit more personal than a text message. And you also avoid the problems of tone that come up whenever we send things via text message or email, um, because you can actually ensure that your voice has the appropriate positivity (laughs) in it when you send out your message. Okay, number eight is very closely related to number seven. Don't check your email all day long. I am guilty of this, absolutely. And this is why it's a problem. I check my email all day long compulsively. It's on my phone and obviously it's on my computer. And so I frequently will just pop it open to see what's in there. And sometimes I can respond at that moment and sometimes I can't. So why am I checking my email when I can't even respond to it? When that happens, sometimes I have an email that sits there that I don't respond to later because I already opened it and I didn't realize I hadn't responded yet. I'm kind of doing the work twice. I'm thinking about my response and not sending it, and then later I still have to respond unless I forget that I never responded and then I've really dug a hole for myself. Instead of checking your email all day long, don't have it on your phone. Just have it on your computer. Set up an auto responder. So people know when you're going to respond. So if I send you an email at 830 in the morning and your office hours are at 1230, your autoresponder can say, hey, I got your email. I promise you I'm going to respond to it at 1230 when my office hours start. I will get back to you at that time. That way people know. Um, They know whenever they can expect a response from you and it makes them feel reassured that they got some kind of message. And so at least you, maybe sometime you can take that autoresponder off so they're not getting a response every single time that they leave you a message on your phone or on your email, that is. Um, but you can certainly have it to start out with So you kind of train people and let them know, this is when I'm going to respond. Number nine is don't feel like you're one more thing. And I talked about this in episode 34, but it's so important that I have to bring it up again. I've been working with some coaches, and I, I know this is the way that they feel, like they are one more thing whenever teachers are already really overwhelmed. And I think that that comes from us having had the experience of teachers and feeling like one more thing on our plate is just enough to send us off the deep end and it's just really stressful and we can't even imagine what it's like to have one more person come and tell us something to do. But that's not what coaches do anyway, right? <laughs> so instead, present yourself as a support system who will help teachers do their jobs even better and possibly easier. If you feel like you're one more thing, teachers will also feel like you are one more thing. Lots of coaches are afraid of starting coaching cycles, for example, because it will be one more thing for the teacher to do. But if you're there to help teachers solve problems and to make things better in their classrooms, you know, through a partnership, then you're not one more thing. You're actually helping them find new ways of doing the things they're already doing. They might be ways that are easier. They might be ways that are better and they get more bang for their buck. There are a lot of positives To working with a coach through a coaching cycle. So, one way that you can get started with a teacher, if they are perceiving you as one more thing, is you can start with a complaint. And I've talked about this in several different episodes and, and in workshops because I really think it's powerful. Listen for the complaints that people have. And whenever they complain about, for example, their kids talking all over each other during Zoom meetings, that's an opportunity for you to say, you know what, I can help you figure that out. Why don't we set a day and time where we can figure out some expectations and how to introduce them to the kids? Whenever they're complaining about um, not having enough math lessons so they're having to create everything from scratch, you can say, you know, we have some really great resources associated with our math curriculum. Why don't we set a day and time and I can help you look into those and we can figure out which ones you'd like to try to use. I could even model it for you if you want. And so you can take that complaint, which usually makes us feel awful, And remind yourself that you're there to help. (laughs) And you can say, hey, I can help you with that. That's actually my whole job. So why don't we figure something out and put something on paper and get that coaching cycle started in a way that responds exactly to the teacher's need? And you know it's their need because they complained about it. (laughs) Number 10 is something that I could tell every educator, and I sometimes have to tell myself don't get caught up in fancy and cute. When I was a new teacher, I remember I would get these formats from people, and sometimes they were a little cumbersome and they were like a little complicated, like to write on, or a little bit maybe um, lots of dotted lines and things like that that were kind of like visually overwhelming. And I would spend time recreating the forms so that I could use them with my kids, or recreating these handouts or activities so I could use them with my kids. And that was fine because some of them looked pretty bad. But after a while, Whenever you're going back and forth between font selections and clip art, and you're trying to match this with that, and you're you're going on and on and on, digging deeper and deeper and deeper into this whole of this one specific activity that you're reformatting, you've spent a lot of time on how cute something is, right? So instead of worrying about fancy and cute, focus on being functional. For example... Bitmoji classrooms are great. They can be great. They can be a great tool to share things that are important with teachers and to have as your hub. That's one way you could set up your classroom office space online. But if it takes your whole day to design a Bitmoji classroom when you could have done a Google site in maybe an hour, was that a good way to spend your time? What has actually impacted teaching and learning there, right? Um, Sometimes we have to say, okay, I'm going to have to go with functionality this time and do something simple. And maybe if I have more time later, I can go back and make it really cute. Now, this is not a 100% of the time rule because sometimes don't you just enjoy doing things like that? (laughs) And if you enjoy doing that and you're doing it on your own time, knock yourself out. You know, I don't see any harm in spending time on things if you're not pulling away from something else. Right, Um, If you are spending your time in the evening working on your Bitmoji classroom because it's something fun for you to do, go for it, do it. But we don't wanna take time from things that are really important in order to do cute things that are not any more functional than not cute things. Right? So it's kinda like when you have that really cute stapler on your desk. I do, I have a really pretty blue stapler. I like the color, so I ordered it because I like the color but it doesn't work very well. So I don't hardly ever use that stapler. (laughs) It stays on my desk because it matches my stuff, but my functional stapler is inside my drawer and it is not pretty, but that's the one that I actually use. So instead, let's choose functional and practical over spending hours dumping your time down a well of cuteness, right? If you've got a limited amount of time, don't feel bad that all of your stuff isn't adorable. That's just reality right now. And it's actually reality all the time and it's okay. It is okay if your stuff is not as cute as somebody else's stuff, as long as it is functional and usable and teachers are being impacted with that work, okay? It is okay not to do it if that's something that's causing you trouble or stress, okay? So those are my 10 tips. I'm going to run through them really briefly, just so you kind of remember all the important stuff that we talked about today. Number one, don't overwhelm teachers with a list of 100 technology tools. Do choose a few technology tools and really focus your learning around those. Two, don't feel like relationships will just naturally happen. Do make a plan for building relationships online. Three, don't think you have to dump everything you know about coaching and start over. Do transfer what you know about coaching to your new role. Four, don't assume teachers know what you're doing as a coach now, do explicitly introduce your new role. Five, don't offer a million supports at the beginning and then realize you're not prepared to do all of those things. Do choose a few basic levels of supports and a few more challenging supports to focus on and build your coaching menu around those. You can always add more later. Six, don't have your stuff all over the place. Do create one hub, a virtual coaching office where teachers can find what they need. Seven, don't make yourself available 100% of the day. Do set office hours and create a recurring link for teachers to reach you via a conference or when you'll be available via phone or email. Eight, Don't check your email all day long. Do set up an autoresponder so people can expect when you're going to respond. Nine, don't feel like you're one more thing. Do present yourself as a support system who will help teachers do their jobs even better. And 10, don't get caught up in fancy and cute, do be functional. So I hope that those 10 hip tips were really helpful to you. Do's and don'ts are an easy way to think about the work that we're doing, kind of simplify some of these really complex ideas. If you liked this episode or if you had a favorite do or don't, I want you to share it on Instagram and tag me at buzzing with Miss so I can see what you think, because I love to hear from coaches who are benefiting from this work and to see what your thoughts are about how you are applying it to your coaching. Um, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I enjoyed recording it and I hope it's helpful to you. And I also hope to see you in the Coffee and Coaching Membership at coffeeandcoachingmembership.com. Happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at miss B. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching.